0: Good morning. Psalms 15, I'm going to read. And uh, I said I would be reading the Psalms every Sunday. Sometimes I do it on Wednesday, whoever's teaching, because of what's going on uh, in Israel, the war that they did not ask for. Uh, Continue to pray for the nation of Israel. Continue to pray for our nation where we need it. Uh, God is still on his throne. He's still doing, he's allowing things to fold out exactly how the scriptures said they would fold out. No need to get worried. No need to be uh, discontent. That's, That's unless you don't know Jesus Christ. That's unless you're not born again. We'll be talking about that in a minute, uh, but I'm going to read from Psalms 15. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle, who may dwell in your holy hill, he who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart, he who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change, he who does not put out his money as usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocence, he who does these things shall never be moved. I'm thankful. I'm sure you guys are thankful that you've been blood-bought in the blood of Jesus Christ. We're in Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going through the book of Hebrews, and as we study it, Calvary Chapel is known for their expository teaching or preaching. One of the advantages of exp- expository preaching is that you, you get to move through the Bible, verse by verse, and the text itself It sets the agenda for us. I don't have to sit around and wonder what I'm going to preach on. That's always good. I preach on whatever comes next. Paul said, I have not shunned to teach you the full counsel of God. And that's always certainly an advantage of this kind of preaching. It's an advantage, but it doesn't always feel like an advantage because occasionally, you will run across scripture or passage of scripture. Well, that's a little difficult to teach. And it's not difficult that I don't know what I'm saying, but I would rather teach some scriptures in the closet with me and the Lord. Some scriptures can be hard. Some scriptures can be tough, but they're in the word of God. And we run across that this morning. I'm reminded of my mom, whenever, especially as a little kid, whatever she put on the table, we'd eat it or go hungry. Except for me. I only eat the breast, the white meat of the chicken. And so she would almost, after my dad would eat probably the breast and a half, he'd save the other half for me. Because I just don't eat dark meat. This is the scripture we're teaching on. The reason I say that is some scripture you would rather not teach or teach in a closet with you and the Lord. But as I said, Paul said, I'd not shun to teach the full counsel of God. Well, we're in the spinach area this morning. I don't like spinach but it's in here, so I have to teach it. And so I want you to, as we read through these scriptures, not to say this person needs to hear this or someone else needs to hear this. God has put this into his word, and he he didn't put this in his word for the outsider. He's not talking about the unsaved person when he says this. He's talking to his church. The English translators, they have a hard time writing down exactly what they think the scripture says here. But I'm obligated to teach it. And because I'm obligated to teach it, we're going to look through these scriptures. Hebrews chapter 2, remember, there was a warning. Paul has given us a warning about falling away. He's not telling, like I said, the unbelievers about falling away. They they haven't arrived yet. He's talking to the church, and he's saying, be careful that you don't drift. Be careful that you don't fall away. He tells us that because it can happen. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? We saw it in the third chapter, too, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion In the day of trial, in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years, therefore I was angry with that generation. And says, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. We talked about that last week. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Somehow these Jewish believers... In Messiah, we're under tremendous amount of pressure to turn back, to shrink back to Judaism, to go back to the traditions. And Jesus is writing that for us too. You know, we come to church Sunday after Sunday, a lot of us do, and we hear the writer of Hebrews saying, now let's just wait one minute here. Let's just make sure that you really know your relationship with Jesus Christ is real and not fake. You see, the temptation is for you to take this message and hear it and to say, I know someone who needs to hear it. What we need to do is minimize all of that. We need to say to God, this is a good question for each of us to ask ourselves. I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord, It's a question that we all need to be confronted with because the Holy Spirit puts this in his word, asking this question to us. The Bible is filled with warnings against falling away, falling away apostasy. You just turn away. I don't believe the gospel anymore. I don't believe the word of God anymore. I'm mad at God, so I'm just going to turn away and do my own thing. Therefore, we need to take heed seriously, and keep trusting in God. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. We're only going to look at three verses. Shouldn't be hard to maintain and keep up with this. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Remember, the rest was the picture of the children of Israel, In the Old Testament, in the 15th century BC, who were wandering through the wilderness. Actually, they had just started the wilderness proper. They were just about to go into the promised land at a city called Kadesh Barnea. And God has said, trust me, trust me, and I'll take you into the promised land. But they failed that trust. They failed that test. We've been talking about in the chapter 3 that the rest, he speaks about it in chapter 3, verse 11 and 18. It's an analogy. It's an analogy of salvation. And here's what the text says, Hebrews 4.1 again. Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest still stands, now we're coming off an illustration. And so these are illustrative words. They are analogous to being saved because the offer of salvation, we said, it still stands. He says, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. If the Holy Spirit says, fear that you might come short of it, he means exactly what he says. We should fear that. Those aren't pleasant words. You don't want to hear those words. See, there is a godly fear that's a healthy fear. There's a godly fear that's encouraged in the scripture. The fear of the Lord, don't get it twisted, it's a good thing. The fear of the Lord is not, oh no, you're going to kill me if I mess up, if I do wrong. No, it's it's not that. That's an unhealthy fear. That's the fear of of a kid not wanting to go home because his dad is an alcoholic and when he drinks too much, he beats the kids. That's what kind of fear that is. The fear of the Lord is not like the fear of a tyrant out of control. Rather, it starts with the revelation of who God is. It tells us in Exodus twenty twenty, do not fear. Moses tells us, for God has come to test you And that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the fear is really a recognition of who God is. He can destroy us in a second. He can destroy and he will roll this world up like a scroll, Isaiah tells us. Just like that. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. He can do anything he wants to. He can destroy us instantly. He can wipe out the universe in an instant, but take a deep breath and think about that. That's the first part. The second part is there are things that are right or wrong in his sight. So living in God's audience, living in the recognition of who. He, He is living with an understanding of the blessing that's on doing what's right and the judgment that comes doing what's wrong. So the fear of the Lord starts as the recognition of who he is. Proverbs 9, the latter part of verse 10 tells us it's the beginning of wisdom because we understand he is who he is. And now we're going to rightly keep his commandments because we love him. And let's not forget walking in the fear of the Lord brings a smile to his face. But here Hebrews is saying, let us not play games. If we say we are who we say we are, if we're born again believers, he basically says, act like it, do it. And then he says, though a promise of entering his rest is left open, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. This promise that still is still being held out to us this morning. We live in the days of grace. Don't anyone come short of this rest? And you ought, the Holy Spirit says it, you ought to be afraid you don't miss it. Okay, can you see where that doesn't play well with the modern church in our day? You, 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 you understand it's a fear of an object. It's the fear of hell that God is very concerned within the Bible. As a matter of fact, turn, if you would, to the book of Luke, and let me show you what Jesus says about fear. Luke 12, verses 4 through 5. You won't find this... These two verses on a Hallmark card, he says, "'And I say to you, my friends,' he calls them his friends, "'do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, "'and after that have no more that they can do. "'But I will show you whom you should fear. "'Fear him who, after he has killed, "'has power to cast into hell.'" Yes, I say to you, fear him. Jesus says, if fear is going to be your motivating factor, if fear is going to make you get up and follow me, because I'd rather want you to follow me because you love me. But if fear is going to push you to the point of following me, well, have at it. He says in verse two, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them. Why didn't it profit? Not being mixed with faith. We'll learn in Hebrews, without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord in those who heard it. That might make us a little uncomfortable. Let it be a healthy, uncomfortable feeling. See, we have had good news proclaimed to us the gospel, just as they did. They didn't have the gospel, those, those three, the maybe five million people who are walking in the wilderness. They, they crossed the Red Sea after the Lord had parted it. But God had given them an oath, if you trust, if you obey me, if you have faith to believe, I'm going to take you into Canaan. But the word they heard did not help them because it was not mixed with those who listen in faith. For we have trusted. Once again, this is a healthy fear of God, a cleansing fear of the Lord, leaning on the Lord. Once you face, once you face, God and understand who he is and the great price that God paid for our sins. You can trust in his power. You can trust in his ability to do what he said he's going to do. You see, I don't trust my power. I don't trust my holiness. I don't trust my perseverance. I don't trust my goodness. I don't even trust my faith but I trust God. Therefore, I put all of my trust in Him who keeps me. Therefore, I humble myself before you, God, and say, Have mercy on me and give me grace to take hold of what you've said, that you will keep me till the end. And I believe you will. I don't believe myself, but I believe in God. And he will keep you. He's promised that. If you want to be kept, that's the question. If you want to be kept, he will keep you. That's the healthy fear of the Lord. You see, heaven and hell is constantly put before us in the scriptures, starting at the beginning of the Bible and goes to the very end, whether there's an understanding of the short term, In terms of this life, the afterlife, as it develops in the latter prophets and in the New Testament, the point is we have two choices. We're going to end up in a place of blessing, or we're going to end up in a place of torment. There's no other place. And you've got a choice you need to make, because I'm looking down the corridor of life. And you tend to do that as you age. It, it begins to, The fog becle- begins to clear up. You see it. You understand it a little better. And it dumps off in only two places, in heaven or in hell. And I want you to be concerned about that. You know, being a college graduate, as some of you are, and we tend to stress and push our kids to go to college. And that's, that's beginning to change a little these days. You will get a benefit. If you, if you go there to study and you study and you do well, you'll get a good job. You'll end up with a big house, having that nice, fine automobile. Nothing wrong with those things. But I'm here to tell you, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter at all. What your status is on this planet, that won't matter after you die. We'd be better off if we were in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We'd be better if we were more heavenly-minded down here. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 5. And I say to you, and he calls them my friends. He means what he says. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Phobos, of a phobia of things. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. That's the part that doesn't end up in a dayspring card. Jesus says, fear is going to be a motivating factor in our lives. And I want you to obey me because you love me. But if you are motivated by fear, then you should fear me. Because really, ultimately, Jesus says, The ultimate fear is turning away from God Almighty. We should have peace with God. That's what he's screaming this morning. Do you have peace with me? Do you have peace with my son? Because I'm here to tell you, when you come out of of the womb of your parent, your mom, you're facing away from God. And he begins to call you to have peace with me. And as he goes on, he talks about this in the text. See, all these other fears, they become secondary if you fear God. And the object of that fear is not so much as fearing God. You should fear where you're going if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You should fear hell. There's blessings for the person who believes in Jesus Christ. But hells await every unbeliever. He says in Luke 12, 4, again, Jesus calls them, the people he's speaking to, my friends. Because here's the misperception about the whole thing, about teaching on hell. The original hell and fire and brimstone teacher Is Jesus Christ. And he's saying, this is not because I hate you, not because I dislike you. He's saying it because he calls you his friend. And so I want to make sure you're concerned about where you're going to end up when you die this morning, my friends. Same reason, you know, when you have a 15-year-old son or daughter who's about ready to get their driver's license. You sit there and you give them those talks, or when you watch an accident, you're driving with them, and you tell them, you see that accident? You see how that car is mangled? That's what will happen to you if you're texting, talking on your phone. That's what will happen to you if you're not paying attention, that accident right there. And you do that, not because you don't love them, not because you don't like them, not because you're trying to scare them. No, you do that so they will be careful and they don't end up in a mangled car wreck on the side of the road. Jesus loves us. And that's why he wants to, us to ponder seriously about the issues of heaven and hell. He says in verse "For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard, notice they heard it, did not profit them. Why not being mixed with faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen? For by it the elders obtained a good testimony, Hebrews will tell us, in those who heard it. He makes an analogy because that's what he's doing here. He's making an analogy back in our minds to the 15th century B.C., When here Moses with Caleb and Joshua are standing in the shadow of the promised land. And they're about to march in, just like Yahweh told them. And here he says, You know what? They are just like us, the writer of Hebrews says, in that they were presented with a proposition, with a contract, with an oath, with a promise. If you trust me, we'll go into the kingdom together. In that sense, it was the physical place called Canaan, the promised land. If you trust me, we'll go to this place of promise. The people had that good promise of God. That was their good news. Their gospel, you see, was temporal. It was physical. It was based on the promised land of Canaan. And for us, it's a spiritual thing. That's why it's an analogy. It's a real place called heaven. I hope you know that. But the point is, my spiritual salvation hangs on what theirs hung on, faith and trust in God. And it's a trust that's got to go beyond mental. Can't get there with the head knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because the bottom of this verse, it says, they had the message, it was received, and that they heard it. Verse 2, but the word which they heard, it did not profit them. Why? Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. They didn't really trust him. Let me say it again. They didn't really trust God. See, lots of people say they do especially here in America. A lot of people look like they do. But when it came down to it, when the rubber meets the road, only two guys were willing to stand up among 12 and say, I trust God. We can take it. We're going in. We're just going to hang on to God. That's the only thing I know. I don't know how he's going to do it but we're going to trust them. Only two out of 10 were willing to say that. Now, if you ask all of the rest of them, not only the other 10 spies, but all of the rest who had came to the borders of Canaan, if you were to have walked up to them and asked them, do you know God? Do you trust God? every one of them would have said, yeah, we trust him. We're ready to walk into the promised land. Are you God's people? Yeah, we're God's people. Absolutely we are. We are God's chosen people. Is God with you? Of course he's with us. We've had the pillar of cloud by day. We've had the pillar of fire by night. Of course he's with us. But if you were to pull back the veneer of their lives after everything they've seen, after everything they've seen, the water that comes from the rock, their clothes not wearing out, they're at the borders. And if you ask them, do you trust God, every one of them would have said yes. But only two gets there. Remember that. They would say, God is all around us. He's guiding us. He loves us. We're in fellowship with him. That's what they would say. But if you could pull back and see their hearts, very few of them actually trusted God. And you know how you can tell if someone trusts God or not? People that trust God for their salvation... They can trust God with everything, every other part of their lives. And I find people saying, oh, I trust God. I trust God for my salvation. And you watch their lives. And there's no evidence of trust in their life for their daily concerns of what they face every day. Am I saying to myself, you think you can trust God for eternity? And you can't trust Him for a good job? You can trust God for eternal things, but you can't trust Him for an income? You can't trust God for whatever it is that you're facing in this life? What kind of faith is that? Help me out. What kind of faith is that? See, you can't dichotomize your faith. I trust Him in this. But the number one thing you should trust in him is your eternal salvation. Are you going to follow him? And you know how real faith is demonstrated? Real faith is demonstrated by trusting in everything less. People are watching. God is watching. Jesus does the same thing. He approached people all the time. He said to people like the rich young ruler, follow me. Remember that. And he looked through the veneer of his life into his heart, oh, you really don't trust me. And I'm sure this wandered through his mind as he was saying it. He said, you really don't trust me. That's not in the scriptures. But he gives him a test to show him, you're, you're, you're talking a good game. I, got, I know some people who can talk a good game, but they can't back it up. And that's what Jesus says. You talk a good game, but sell all your stuff. And then follow me. Hmm. We know the account. He could not do it. He talked a good game. But when it counted on giving everything up and following the Messiah, he couldn't do it. Oh, you don't really trust me. And for him to see, he really didn't. He said, sell all your stuff then and you'll have treasures in heaven. You know what he said. I I, I can't do that. Well, then you don't really trust me. Or how about Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, where three people come up to Jesus, and they want to follow Jesus. Evaluate your lives as as I'm telling you this account and all the things we're talking about. Because I've evaluated, and I'm evaluating mine, and the scriptures tell us we should evaluate, test yourself, and make sure you're in the faith. Jesus says, fine, then. Jesus, I've got a a house I need to, I just bought. I need to go and fix it up and all. Jesus says, no, you don't have time for me then. He tells two more other guys. One of them said, let the dead bury the dead, Jesus tells him. Because he was saying, hey, after my parents are gone, then I will follow you. Jesus says, no, you're not going to follow me then. That's why Jesus was popping off all the time with the statements like this. Matthew 10, 37, Jesus says, If you love son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. You can't be in my family, basically, he says. Why? Because God wants real faith, and it takes real faith to trust in God. To march us to the kingdom of God is evidenced by by my ability to trust him for everything else. Are you tracking with me in this paradigm? Because that's what I'm giving. I can trust him for my salvation, we say. But how about other things as we walk to him? He's, he should be first in our life. My trust should be in Jesus, and everything evolves around my trust in Jesus. When life throws me a curve, I might get stupid for a second and say, hey, I can't believe you let this happen, but my trust will build back up if I am who I say I am and continue to follow the Lord. That's true faith. Can you do that this morning? God says this, Jesus says this, God has hidden from the wise and the learned, the things of him, but He's revealed it to you. Take advantage of it. We need real faith in Jesus Christ, and real faith puts action to the wall. See, we need to objectively evaluate our Christianity this morning. Is your faith genuine? Take a look at it. How are you walking? What is the essence of your Christianity? You think you're going to heaven? Great. Tell me why. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying. And here's the passage I want you to jot down, Revelation 3, 1. Jesus says, and to the angel. This is Jesus' postcard to the churches in Asia Minor. And to the angel and to the church in Sardis right here comes the message. These things says he who has the seven spirits of God. And the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. And here's the problem. If you think you're going to heaven because you're associating with the right people, you're not. If you think you're going to heaven because you're going to a Bible-teaching church, you're not. It takes more than that. You're kidding yourself. We have to look past the veneer and we have to do this because if you ask those people in the wilderness and Kadesh Barnea about to cross over, are you on God's team? Are you in God's family? Every one of them would have said yes. They had experienced God's presence in their life. They had seen God's miracles taking place before their eyes. That's why I think in Matthew 7, Jesus throws that in. He says, uh, I don't care if you are a miracle performer. He says, God might say this to us, depart from me. I never knew you. Because they never really tested their faith to see if it was genuine. Maybe we really never examined ours. Maybe we never put it to the test like Jesus is saying here, because we're told if we walk down an aisle, pray this prayer, say the right words, go to the right church, carry the King James Bible especially, or do whatever else. They say, you're genuine. Your faith is real. I cannot find that in the scriptures anywhere. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, the Holy Spirit telling Paul, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Remember what they were doing in in Corinth? They were taking the Lord's Supper. They were breaking bread with each other. They were doing all of that, and the Holy Spirit said, examine yourselves and make sure you're in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6 says, do you not know Yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified. But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. And he's talking to the church there. And yet today, if you do that to people, man, they'll get very uncomfortable. Are we like the people in Kadesh Barnea this morning who are in the right group, heard the right message? Agree with it, but only have a mental accent to the facts. Is our lives been transformed by the power of God that's in us? Is our faith the real deal? He says in verse 3, for we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath They shall not enter my rest. He says, now, we who have believed have genuine faith. Our trust is real. We enter that rest currently, present tense. Real Christians enter that rest. The rest, again, is an analogy of walking into Canaan, the promised land, which is the reality of us having genuine conversion to where we are children of the kingdom this morning. We're headed to the new Jerusalem. One day he says, if our faith is real, that's the reality for us. We enter that rest. And then he says in the latter part of verse three, as he has said, and note how he flips it now. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. He would have to go back. On his word, Not only as they're getting ready to walk into the promised land, he would have to go back on his word with us even today because it's an analogy here. And he's looking now at the contract with those people in Kadesh Barnea saying, you know what? God didn't let them in. And here's the contract. You trust me, God says, we'll go in. If you don't trust me... You don't go in. And God is a God who lets folks into the kingdom because they trust him. They have believed in him, in their hearts, not in their heads. He also is a God, and he'll flip the switch on them right here. He says, so I swore in my wrath. He still makes a promise, but it's not a good promise. They shall not enter my rest. You know, You can tell your child to do something, especially when they're kids. Okay, do this, and I might let you go outside and play. It just depends. And they don't do it. I'll give you a great example. A birthday present. If you clean up your room, if you do this, if you wash the dishes, if you do all these things, you'll get to go hang out with your friends. And they say, Daddy's joking. It's my birthday. I'm going to get to go anyway. He might fuss a little bit, but I'm still going to get to go. But they didn't hold up their end of the bargain. The dishes are not washed. The room is not clean. The house is not clean. Daddy, it's my birthday. Happy birthday. But what happened? You didn't do the work. You're not going to get to go hang out with your friends. And then they begin to jump up and down and cry, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. Uh, just give, give me another hour and a half, I'll do it. But I've told them what to do. And it's no sense of doing it now because you're not going to go. I don't, I don't change my mind too often. I'm a tough dad, but I'm a loving dad. So, just like the 3,000 at Kadish Barnea after. Caleb and Joshua had come back with a great report. Remember what happens in, in chapter, I think it's 14 of Numbers. This is no, 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 we'll do it now. They take up their swords. They take up their weapons. They go in. God is telling them, Moses had told them, no need to go now. They go in and they get defeated quickly. Does God change his mind? You remember that account? Did God say, okay, I'm just going to let you all go in. I'm the God of the old covenant. They say I'm a a bad God. They say I'm not full of grace, so I'm going to let y'all go in. Does he let them go in after that? No. Matter of fact, he kills a good little bit of them when they went to battle because he told them not to go in. And then we get to the new covenant, thinking Jesus Christ has changed some way or softened. I I still think he's God. He says, I'm the same today, yesterday, and forever. It says in Malachi chapter 3, 1, I am Yahweh. I don't change. That's why you sons of Jacob are not consumed. God keeps his oath. He does not. I want you to understand that he does not change his mind, whether that's for the good or for the bad, for for the worse. He told them, I brought you to the promised land. It's time for you to come over. Come on in. And then a 38-year death march until all the rest of them died. And, you know, I've got lots of commentaries. But sometimes you just don't need a commentary. You can feel the Holy Spirit working in your heart. You've read it so much. You've you've experienced them so much. But I I grab them and I read them. and, And let me make this straight. Because some commentaries, and my preference and the one I would bet my life on, this is Victor Summerall, Victor Allen Summerall, saying this. My preference, and, and I don't see how they can explain it. When those spies come back and say, and God says you're not going in, He means what He says. He could have let them in. It was a it was a ten day journey to Canaan, but because all of them began to cry and complain and suffer too, they had to watch the rest of the two and a half million, the three million folks. Die in the wilderness. They died in the wilderness. That's what my Bible says. Only, this is my point talk to your heart. Only talk to the Lord. Only two came in that was in that generation. That was Caleb and Joshua. You can try to go around it. You can try to spice it up. You can do what you want to do. But my Bible tells me only two of that generation went in, Caleb and Joshua. That tells me something. While all of the, all of the commentators are writing, oh, this is what really what happened, or this is what really what happened. No, 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 no. It happened like God said it. And that's why the analogy is being put forth here in Hebrews 4. Today is the day of salvation. Harden not your heart as they did in the rebellion. And and because they hardened their hearts, I swore in my wrath. You're not going in. You you can't find it. You you can spruce it up any way you want to, but I'm telling you the truth here. Because the Bible tells me they did not go in. Only Joshua and Caleb went in because there they took God's word and mixed it with faith. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know what he's going to do, but he's God. He does what he wants to do, and he brings them in. The rest of them never got in. Huh? Back to the analogy. So high school Victor Samarone, what should you think of this text here? Let me think. I just said God is a God of his word. I know God is a loving God because he revealed himself to me and put me once again in the race at the starting block. But God requires something of me. God requires faith of me. God, if I say I believe God, I'm going to follow God. I might not follow him perfectly. I won't be, be perfect. But my walk will be in a way that he says, that's my child. I'll really dumb it down. I shouldn't dumb it down this much, but I'm going to dumb it down because you still, people, you still have people saying, no, they got in. All of them got in. Read your Bible. They don't all get in. And they don't get in because they were around the right group. They saw all of the miracles, but they didn't have faith to go in. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's what he says. You can talk a good game all you want to, and I've seen many of them talk a good game. But sooner or later, you've got to walk it. That's what Jesus is saying here. Once again, that's why the rich young ruler thought he wanted to follow the Lord, but he turned away because God said, hey, you've got to follow me. That's why when the, uh, James and John were mending their nets and Jesus said, follow me. And they dropped everything. And I mean everything. Some things you might not want to drop. And God will give you opportunity. He'll give you a chance. I know it's tough. I know it's hard. I know this is hard. But if you say you are who you say you are, it's going to take faith. And faith is dropping everything and following the Lord. You know, I'm going to say, I was surprised uh, probably probably about three weeks to a month ago. And I said, Lord... I believe your word. I believe your word is true. And I feel like the Apostle Paul, when he says, I have many mothers in the faith. And I've heard Jesus, I just quoted that scripture, what Jesus says. Brothers and sisters, your brothers and sisters, even your mama is outside with you. They're wanting you to go. And he looks around and he says, who are mom? who is my mom? Who's my sister? And I'm being very transparent here because one of my issues is just because I believe that. And my mom was here last week. I love her. And when my dad lived, I loved him. But I love your mama, and I love other people's mama, and I just group them all into one family. I love them. I do that because that's what the Scripture says. If they're believers, and if they're unbelievers, hey, I like you, but, you know, I'm trying to tell you about salvation. That's all I've got for you. Don't have any money to give you. I got salvation to give you. Uh, but what I'm saying I think everybody else should be like me and everybody's not like me. And my heart was broken. And God said, that's all right. You continue to love and you just continue to walk with me and everything's gonna be all right, Victor. I'm here to tell you today, today is the day for salvation. When Jesus... If he hasn't did this yet, and you're a child of God, he's going to put his finger on something just like Caiaphas when he says, Caesar is my friend, and he gave him that ring. And was he going to give him the ring back to Caesar and say, you're not my friend? Or are you going to trust Jesus? Well, we know which one he did. He, he didn't give that ring back. He, he took that ring to hell with him and Caesar being his friend. But he's going to put his finger on something and say, hey, you say you follow me? You say you love me. You're going to have to give up everything and follow me. God is gracious. He'll wait. He'll wait. He'll wait. Because that's how God is. But it does come to a point, hey, you're going to have to follow me. I want your allegiance, and I'm, going to, and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit that you can do it. These people did not go in to the promised land. They did not go into Canaan. And the Bible tells us the reason they did not go in is because of unbelief. That's why they didn't go in. You might can fool mama for a little while. You might can fool daddy for a little while, but we cannot fool God. That's the oath he makes here. That's the warning he gives here. But I'm going to leave you with something upbeat because I knew I had to and I want to. I'm going to remind you of what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9 through 12. Follow the Lord with all your heart. This world dumps off into two places and two places only, heaven and hell. And Paul tells them this, but beloved, we are confident, I am confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this manner, though I speak in this manner, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister continually. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence, there it is, to the full assurance of hope until the end. That's when you can retire. My wife says, I want to retire. Every day, day my wife says, "I, I want to retire. I'm ready to retire. (laughs) And I come back with it. Hey, you can retire when you get to the kingdom, but she will retire soon. If you're a Christian, you don't retire until the Lord takes you home. We know that. And that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. If we continue, we will inherit the promise. That's black and white. What I've just read, what we, what, what we just studied, it's black and white. Now, we like to try to color stuff in to make yourself feel better, but it's really black and white. The worship team come up, and it's black and white right here. There's a such thing, theologian speaks of perseverance of the saints. We have to persevere. No matter what happens while we're down here, good or bad, if we love Jesus Christ, it's his spirit in us that makes us persevere. He's with us. He's for us. He's not against us. That's why we need to be in the word. That's why we need to be in prayer. That's why we need to be walking with other believers because there's a charge to keep. And he gives it to them right here. This is his oath. He swears by it. You shall not enter my rest because you didn't mix it with faith. Pistudio. That's the word. There was no work following me in that. Let that not be any of us. Let that not be any of us that's watching. People like to sugarcoat things. People like to uh, give you a lot of... Cotton candy and say they love you. I'm giving you this spinach here because I love you. Let's pray. Father God, make your word clear. You tell us these things because you love us. You tell us these things because. Your grace is sufficient. No doubt about it, Jesus Christ has come and he's did the work. But yet and still, we must follow you. Wherever you lead us, we must follow you. You're going to be with us to the end. Lord, I pray that if anyone is confused about this chapter 4, the first three verses, Lord, would you make it clear? Would you make it perfectly clear? And you you made it perfectly clear from Genesis to Revelation with King Saul. You waited on King Manasseh for many of years. But it wasn't until he repented and gave his life to you, did he enter into your rest? We can have that rest right now. We'll have the ultimate rest when we get to heaven. Lord, give us a heart that obeys you quickly. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to, uh, maybe later. May, May we obey you when you tell us to, Father that we will be trees of righteousness planted by you that that gives all the admiration and gives all the joy and gives all of the hope to you because we love you knowing that you reciprocate that love and you're going to lead us until you take us home and we ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen.